Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the February 9th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Thank you so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. You know, we are here to ensure that you understand the political process so that when it is time for you to cast your vote, uh, you feel confident about what you are doing. We have featured a number of great episodes recently. If you want to catch something that you may have missed, I invite you to go to my website, and that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. There I have a local matters tab, and there is a link to every single episode that I have done since March of 2020. Today, we are going to talk about something that I have wanted to address for a long time, uh, and that is the subject of making contributions to political campaigns. Personally, I have probably only made one donation in my life, and that was probably because it was somebody that I knew pretty well and I believed in the platform that he was espousing. I have not done that in decades because I I am a member of the International City County Managers Association, and it is a violation of our code of ethics to donate money to political campaigns. However, I by far am not um, the only person who hasn't given to a campaign. Even though some of you may not be restricted by those same sorts of constraints, I've looked up some data and I found out that only about 1.5% of the population has made a donation of $200 or more. And most of the time when people make donations, it is men rather than women. Um, just to give you a flavor of what the limits are, you know, throughout the campaign uh, finance reform, there've been discussions about how much somebody can give as a way to limit the influence of uh, rich people on the process. So, uh, or those who just want to donate a lot. For a federal election in this year, an individual, the max that an individual can donate is $2,900 per election. Uh, and the max that they can give to um, a national party committee is $109,000 per account per year. On the state level here in Georgia for county and city elections, $3,000 by state law is the max that an individual can give in a general election. And then you can give an additional $1,600 for a general election runoff to a county or city uh, candidate. So with that in mind, I want you to think through the influence that you can have on the process and whether, in fact, those who donate have an undue influence on the process. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Local Matters family, our guest today is Dr. Gregory Murray. He is on the faculty at Augusta University, and we are so pleased to have someone of his background and expertise with us. How are you doing today, Greg? 
I am wonderful, Janice. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I am honored to be on your show and appreciate look for appreciate and look for our forward to our time together here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you can get started, you know, our traditional local matters is that we ask our guests to tell our listeners a little bit about their background so that our listeners can sort of connect to you and uh, learn how it is that you develop the expertise that you're going to share with us today. All righty, sure. I um, grew up in Dallas, Texas, went to the University of Texas, got a degree in government, um, moved to Hawaii and spent some time there running uh, elections for local candidates at both the local and state level. Uh, after we left there, we got there, by the way, because my wife was in the Navy. Uh, after, we left, after we left there, we ended up at, in Houston, uh, where I went and got my PhD in political science. And from there, I have been teaching political science. I started at the University of Texas at Brownsville, went to the College of Brockport up in New York, down back down to Texas, to Texas Tech, and then finally landed over here at Augusta University about five and a half years ago. Okay, well, great. After having that background throughout the country, we love having somebody with your background here in Augusta, Georgia, to help our students and our community. I'm so glad that the university makes you all available to talk um, at the community level about things that are happening. Um, this topic we're going to take on today is something that I have wanted to talk about for a while, um, and that is the insane amount of money that it requires to run for office. Right. Um, we say we're a democracy and we say we uh, anybody can run, um, but then you look at how much money it takes to do that. And then I kind of sort of question, it's like, hey, you know, who, who either has the money or wants to raise that much money? Um, and the genesis for this, this time around is that a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Augusta Chronicle ran an article showing how much money candidates for mayor had raised. Um, there are nine, 10, 11 declared candidates for mayor. We'll really find out in March, of course, when they have to sign the paperwork. But you've got those candidates. I think only three of them had raised enough uh, to cover qualifying fees and look like to run a viable campaign. And the highest two were 75 to 80,000, then another that was over 125,000. So why do you think it takes so much money to run for even a local office like this? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the short answer is that it's expensive to communicate to voters. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot of money to produce things like the flyers that they're sending to people's houses, uh, the TV ads that they run. I've got not too far from my house, um, several, they're not even yard, well, I guess they're yard signs, they're extra large yard signs that I'm sure cost, uh, I can't even imagine they cost, you know, anything less than $100. And it was probably substantially more than that. So they have to pay for those things. Uh, things with, um, you know, even volunteer events where you think you're doing stuff 
for free, getting free help and those sorts of things. Even volunteers you have to feed and give beverages to and all kinds of things. There are filing fees that have to be paid. So this stuff just all adds up. And as we know, it seems like the people who are able to send out more messages in support of their candidacy, uh, those are the people who are going to get more votes and become more likely to win. Okay. And um, in terms of reaching people, I have known, I guess, back in the old days, what I'll now consider the old days, people used to run what I would call shoe leather Mm -hmm. campaigns. You know, the kind where they wore out their shoes, but they walked door to door in the neighborhoods. Has that just gone out of style? Is that a relic of the past or are people still doing that? Well, I think that's the thing with that is that's what people who, quite frankly, don't have the funds to do a lot of other things, uh, you know, to do a, a lot of other things. A lot of so I call that canvassing or going door to door. And I'm quite frank, in my days of running campaigns, I've done a fair amount of that uh, myself. Um, Today, people will hire and pay people to do that. (laughs) So you have this impression that people are, um, you know, this grassroots effort and your neighbors are out walking the neighborhoods telling, you know, telling other neighbors and folks how wonderful the candidate is. Well, in reality, they might, the people doing it may not even uh, know the candidate. So has it gone out of style? Uh, No, it hasn't gone out of style. Is it what we think it is where, you know, these, these uh, grassroots supporters are the ones doing all the supporting and going door to door? Well, I mean, yes, of course that's happening. Some, but it's also happening that money is is facilitating some of those other folks doing it. So um, I think people do it if they can because it looks good. Uh, the problem is is that quite frankly, in the end, you know, running more and more radio ads, TV ads, you know, social media ads, all that sort of thing uh, is going to uh, often win the day. And as somebody who used to run campaigns and somebody who used to, who has studied this uh, quite a bit, what do you, what do you see as the major implications of um, the amount, this increasing demand for fundraising? How do you think that has, has changed the game, so to speak? Yeah, well, here's the problem, Janice, and you, and you mentioned it when we started, somebody has, you know, has over $120,000, dollars available to run their campaign. You said there are some others who were in the $70,000 plus or so, as I, as I recall. Um, it sounded like maybe some of these folks were throwing in substantial amounts of their own money. Um, so what I, I mean, the question I have is in this regard, and it's rhetorical, I guess, is, you know, if you consider the median household income in Richmond County is about $43,000 and you're having to come up with a large amount, 50, 75, 100,000 more uh, to run a campaign, there just aren't that many people that can do that. 
And, you know, so the idea behind democracy is that the people, you know, the people rule. Well, it's really the rich people rule once you get into a scenario like that where to be truly competitive, you have to have substantial funds. And um, I think it undermines democracy to a degree. It's, you know, it certainly uh, it certainly affects who's in office. Uh, who has a voice, and I think it's a, a significant problem. If nothing else, it shows that sort of our elected officials have lost touch with the rest of us. Um, and they're the, we're the ones they're supposed to be representing. So if they've lost touch with us, I'm not sure how well that representation goes. So, I mean, I, to me, it's a major concern, um, and it's just the way our system works. Okay. And what I would fear uh, is that uh, people would see, former candidates would see fundraising as an end unto itself, as opposed to uh, really getting in touch with the people that they're trying to represent, as opposed to really deserving, uh, developing a public service mindset they're developing a mindset of what does it take for me to to raise money right well I, I mean the last time i saw research on this by the way the last time i saw research on this your typical member of congress spends at least two to three hours a day a day dialing for dollars raising money a day they're raising money because for on the House of Representatives side, they're having to run every two years. So they're basically constantly running. And these races, as you've noticed, and as we know, are extraordinarily expensive. So they spend a substantial amount of their time uh, raising, raising funds. You know, I don't know how they do <laughs> how they do their what we think of as their day job, going to uh, committee meetings and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm talking, I'll say this without, I don't have the, you know, the scientific proof for it, but, you know, when we watch C-SPAN or the news or whatever, and you see these big empty, these committee meetings and all, you know, a lot of the representatives aren't there. Well, you know, I'm wondering how many of them are, are having to do their fundraising, their dialing for dollars during that committee meeting, instead of sitting in that committee meeting, listening to the people's business. Wow. And you brought up an angle I hadn't even thought about. So, yeah, I was thinking about the people who are actually filing to run. But the same thing goes for the incumbents. During the time that they are in office, they're continually trying to build the war chest. Yes. Well, I mean, and from OK, and from a from a challenger's perspective, you, you do want you do wonder. And I, I don't say this to besmirching, but you do wonder when they're raising funds. Uh, from people, you hope that they're not making any promises that are not consistent with, you know, the preferences of uh, their constituents. You know, if if they feel like a big fundraiser or a big donor is willing to give them some money, but they have to bend their uh, policy preferences to fit that donor, you hope that's not, you know, you hope that's not happening. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> and I guess one of the other angles, you know, I have been worked with elected officials for years, 
Um, I had, there was one particular woman, she was a county commissioner in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. And I heard her often talk about how the voters think they own you, as Mm -hmm. in they would call her at night and they would say things like, well, I voted for you and I gave money to your campaign and I want you to vote this way or that way on this particular issue that may be on the agenda at that time. And her response was always, well, I appreciate your support. However, I was hoping when you all supported me, it was because you trusted my judgment on issues as opposed to you feeling like that gives you the right to demand that I vote on a certain way based upon your preference. Right. Well, I think it's interesting too. And I'm I'm not sure because I did, I was on legislative staff some during my time working in real life politics. I'm not sure that people like that always understand that yes, she has a, he or she has a strong preference, policy preference that, you know, uh, the person wants the representative to follow, but there are probably other p- people on the other side calling and saying something very similar. <laughs> similar. So I'm not sure that um, uh, there's there are a lot of cross pressures on elected officials, and it's just not always a clear cut um, thing that you know our, uh, elected officials constituents all agree on a topic. As a matter of fact. You know, both of you and I have worked in politics and we know that's very rare when it's like that. Uh, you know, so uh, there are car- cross pressures. And I, I think that uh, elected officials, you know, they generally they they want to do well by their constituents because they want to get reelected. So I think they try, but it's just not as easy, I think, as some some folks think it is for um, them to do that. You know, and and in her particular instance, it came back to bite her. I mean, she got unelected (laughs) next time she ran for real election. Um, Yeah, it it happens. And she knew that that came with the territory. Yeah. um, Because I think she had run for some other office. She She had been on the school board, I think, prior to. And she said, well, I've been unelected before, you know, so it was okay with her to to tolerate the thought of being unelected whereas some is like oh no (laughs) they want to get reelected at all costs right and i just wonder if there's a uh uh, there's an incentive for compromise quite frankly on um how those votes get cast when folks know that they're planning to run for re-election and they know that they've got to raise a certain amount of money from a certain group of people in order to do that well, I'm sure that, well, I'm sure there are. There's a really interesting conception about um, representation sort of theoretically, and I don't, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, uh, but I'll just bring this up real quickly because it's kind of, if you ever talk to representatives, elected officials about this, it's kind of interesting to talk about. So the question is, are they representatives in the sense that uh, they they don't express their personal prefer- policy preferences at all. All they do is get a read of their constituents and whatever it is, regardless of whether they agree with it or not, that's their pol- that's their stated policy preference. So 
So they just vote however it is that re reflects their constituents. On the other hand, there's the argument that they're trustees. And going back to what you were talking about, about your person feeling like that, well, I hope they were supporting, supporting her because she had, uh, you know, good judgment. That's the trustee position where, um, you know, they operate in the sense that you have selected me to be your representative, to use my best judgment to act as your trustee on your behalf. And it's interesting to talk to elected officials about that if you can get them to um, to uh, to um, speak truthfully about it. Usually they'll talk around it, but there are two that people should know. There are these two different perspectives and it's kind of gets to, are you just ruled by the polls, the public opinion polls? And we know that some folks have been um, critical of that, or are you, um, you know, a trustee and you're there using your best judgment and some people who say, well, you know what, you're there to represent your constituents. I don't buy that either. So anyhow, that is an interesting trade-off in representative space that, and I guess a lot of them have a philosophy about it. Uh, I would think they would. I'm not sure though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and I think what I want to hit on, I think they do all have an inherent philosophy about it, whether they've really thought about it or not. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem to say, or there's a chance that the looming need to raise money may very well influence policy proposals and votes that are taken. I think that's absolutely true. I think that's absolutely true. Okay. So we've got some big races coming up. In addition, I mentioned the local races with the uh, running for mayor and a bunch of other races um, that are on the ballot this year. On a statewide level, we've got uh, the gubernatorial race as well as a U.S. Senate race uh, with some people who seem like they just got into office. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. it seems like Warnock just got there, but because they we're feeling an uninspired term, here we are yeah. again. Um, do you foresee that donors will continue to, to give uh, large sums of money and what is the motivation with the donor to, to say, yeah, I'm going to write you a check for X. And are there limits to well, how much they can write a check for? Oh, yeah. You know what? Yes, there are at the federal level. Of course, that's U.S. Senate race. And the federal level has um, campaign contribution laws and limits. Quite frankly, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but there's a limit for, uh, you know, the primary election and then the general election. And then there are also kind of all kinds of rules about giving money to the parties and you usually give a lot more money to the parties. So, um, yes, the bottom line is, yes, there are there are limits on how much uh, you can give. But I mean, this is the game is on for this. Right. This is control of the U.S. Senate uh that's at stake here and so i i think i saw something the other day that both warnock and i guess walker is the one who's um on the republican side or at least is drawing the most attention on the republican side and i think as i recall warnock had raised over nine million and i think walker had raised about five million i think were the numbers as i recall um so that's a lot of money because <laughs> we're still a ways off on this and but it's not just a Georgia race because the Senate is at play in play. And um, you, I mean, you know, everybody who's watching has noticed what happened, what happens with a 50, 50 Senate. And it makes things really difficult 
to uh, pursue policies in any kind of meaningful way because you're always having to, uh, you have no wiggle room. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of money coming in from the outside to um, both of these candidates. And I suspect there's going to be huge tens and tens of millions of dollars spent on this race ultimately. Do you think, and this is just an opinion, but also based upon your research, has the quality of the process uh, gotten better or worse as more and more dollars are spent on these campaigns? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I spend my day thinking about politics and I always want more information, more ideas, more details on policy preferences, those sorts of things. In the current, uh, you know, soundbite, Twitter, Facebook post environment, that doesn't really lend itself to more detail. Uh, so I don't feel like you get a lot of detail out of the candidates. I mean, is this worse than it's been in the past? I don't know that you can say necessarily that it is. Regardless, is it ideal? Um, no, I don't think it's ideal. But at this point, I'm not, I don't know where you, I don't know where you ratchet this back. I, here, here's one thing, at least when I'm thinking about my students, that I think plays into this. Most people, not like me, like I said, I spend all my time thinking about politics, but most people are trying to get their kids to school every morning, get to work, have some quality time with family, friends, church, whatever, um, do that sort of stuff. Following politics and the details of it is very time consuming. So I'm not sure that people... You know, I guess the question is, if they had provided more details, would people pay attention to the greater details? So I guess uh, I'm not convinced necessarily that large swaths of the population would. So I hate to hold that against them, against the candidates. So the bottom line is, I wish we had more information. Um, I also wish people had more time to pursue and think about and analyze the information, but it's the state we're in and the media through which we communicate, social media, you know, TV, whatever, internet, Facebook, all that sort of stuff has very limited bandwidth for communicating. So that is just where we are right now. Okay. Which means that we're going to get a bunch of those glossy uh, cardstock type things in the mail. We just need to look for them. They're going to keep coming. Right. Uh, and people, voters, will largely make their decisions based upon what's on social media and what's on those little um, those little postcards. Yeah, I think so. At the, you know, in the primary level, sure. I think when we come to, uh, you know, the November elections, primarily going to be driven by partisanship. But, I, you know, people need to pay attention. People should pay attention to that stuff. I, I always encourage people to don't, you know, I mean, don't assume that the person who represents the party you identify with actually is the one who has all the policy preferences that you agree with. So I always suggest people, you know, at least look at the opposition and look at your person 
just real quickly, you know, so when you get one of those glossy postcards or whatever, you know, kind of speed spin through the, you know, through the bullet points and just make sure that everything is lined up as you think it is. Because I think, like I said, you know, there are a lot of cross pressures on politicians and you might be surprised at some of the poly policy positions of your person or actually um, the opponent. So uh, yeah, pay attention to that sort of stuff if you can. Okay. Is there one last thing? We just got a minute or so left. Is there one last thing you'd like to share with our listeners as they just take in a way to manage all of this? I think one thing that's really important is, um, and it kind of touches on what we just talked about, is um, uh, be sensitive to uh, that the person or the people who identify with a party opposite of you, I, I encourage people not to just assume they're evil or stupid. Um, you know, I, I think that makes it difficult in a democracy one to compromise. And that's that's essentially what democracy is about. It, democracy is about. So, you know, um, I think people need to be thoughtful about what the other side says why they say it and step back and think, you know, is there a reason why, um, you know, why they take that position? And um, I, I think if nothing else, that kind of tones down the anger and the mistrust that people have. And it does not mean you're necessarily going to change your vote. But, you know, just be aware that we have our we have our biases and we have them for a reason. But just challenge them sometime and kind of think, you know, Take it, do a little time to examine what's going on and think about what the other side's doing, what your side's doing, and try to um, let that govern or drive your uh, voting decisions. All right. Thank you so much, Greg, for being with us. Uh, we look forward to building this relationship with the political science department at AU so that we can take advantage of your expertise. Well, Janice, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be on Local Matters today. I really appreciate it. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net because local matters.